The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. We're going to be taking on two books of Nehemiah. First one, y'all get to hear me butcher as many names as possible. Um, I almost put it on there on Bible Gateway and let Max McLean narrate it, but it's kind of weird to listen to him do it too. So I don't know which one is doing it right or which one's butchering the most, but we're going to start off with Nehemiah 3 this morning. And then I'm going to continue on into chapter 4 because I think it's the application, the greater application of what happened. So we will go through chapter 3. We're going to highlight a couple of things in three, chapter 3, and then we will go on to chapter 4. Next week we'll be in chapter 5, and it's a little bit different, a um, little different aspect of it in, in, the, in the way we apply it from a Christian Reconstructionist perspective, but we will do so. So... Let's start off this morning reading chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Then Eliashib the high priest rose with his brothers the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Emery built. The sons of Hanasseh uh, built a fish gate, they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hagos, uh, repaired. And next to them Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of uh, Meshabel, repaired. And next to them Zadok, the son of Bana, or Bana, the repaired. And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joida, the son of Pasaiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired the Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the uh, Maranothite, the men of Gibeon, and the Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel. Uziel, the son of uh, Heriah, I can't even say some of these, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumbaf, I can't even say that one, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hadash, the son of uh, Hashabaneah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of uh, Piath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halash, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Harakshim, repaired the dung, uh, the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of 
Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts. And I want to tell you, I can keep going and going and going and going. I want you to see something. And we're ready to get started with this. Read the rest and butcher the rest for you on names. But I want you to see this. Our Last week we talked about our worldview has to be a future-oriented one. Okay? Future-oriented and one of victory. And we talked about all these things even down to opposition. We're going to talk about opposition again today, but in a different light. Our first thing this morning, it's, it's right there on your, sheet, on your thing. It's a heading. Our worldview determines how we respond to God's call. Our worldview determines how we respond to God's call. And I always put questions when I post this on Facebook on Sunday mornings. What we're going to talk about, I always ask, what are these questions? Who is to respond to God's call? Who is the ones that are to do these type of things? And so our world, our worldview determines how we respond to God's call. Firstly, this morning, some respond by rising in obedience and setting the example. Some respond by rising in obedience and setting the example. I mean, Nehemiah, Nehemiah gives the charge, and even though opposition comes last week, and what did they say? Listen, you'll be cut off and you have no portion with this city, but we will build this place back. And they do. And what is the first response? We see it in our theme passage in verses 1 and 2. The high priest rose up with his brothers and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated. And what did they do? The very first thing. And others followed that example. They stood up. They began to work. And I think about an example that we're given. We're given in Scripture. It's Titus chapter 2. It says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, it's important, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. An example of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Some respond to God's call by rising in obedience and setting the example. But secondly... Some respond by refusing to subject themselves to the Lord's call. We see that also in this passage, same passage this morning. Nehemiah 3 5, well, you can leave it there, but in the verse 5, it says, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. I thought that was interesting. There's there's no necessarily there's not necessarily any um there's not any correction here or reproach given, nothing like that, except it says something specifically. They wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord. See, the word noble is a really long, is, a, is an, it's an earthly term that we use for an earthly term of lordship, okay? They themselves would not stoop, but the people did. They had their people, the Tekelites, built. But their nobles didn't lay a hand to help. And I, I think that's interesting. We'll get to there maybe 
why that is. But I'm reminded in as the passages of scriptures we've gone through over the last few sermon series, and one of the things I want to remind us of is Matthew 20, 25 through 28, and then Matthew 23. And he says, But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I will tell you in the future, in the future when, you, when, they, when they look back, the nobles will have lost their res, the respect of the people who they are lording over, who, they're, who are being, they've been entrusted to, been given the responsibility over. The people will not take them as really a real authority because they were not willing to, in their time, get their hands dirty to rub the blisters and make calluses with them. You'll see later on some of the struggles that happen, and I think it's because in this case is a good example of that. But Matthew 23 even goes on further, and he talks about, but Jesus told them, he said, uh, to the crowds of disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat, so do it, observe whatever they tell you, but don't do the works they do, for they preach but don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens. See, these nobles, they give the command for the people to what? To do the work. And I think that's a, why it ties in so well today in how we look at things. So often we, we have people who tie up these heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they don't do anything to lift the burden off of the people. But they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. There was a great burden before the people. There's walls. The walls of the city are torn down. They're in rubble. They've, the gates have been burned. And these specific ones, what did they do? They chose not to rise up. They chose not to assist. They chose to just give the orders of how one might go about it. Thirdly, this morning, the call and work of God has been has uh, the the work that God has given is for all, not some. The call and work of God that God has given is for all, not some. And I think so, so often we want to categorize the type of work and the type of ministry and the type of things, and we categorize ourselves out of responsibility. Yep. We don't take responsibility for what we are to do. We know what everybody is supposed to do, but we don't do it ourselves. And so we find this, or we'll find an excuse. We make a way for us not to do the work. And, Jer- and Nehemiah, the, the theme passage, verse 12, he said, Next to him shall one the son of Helenesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. I'll just tell you right now, obviously he only had daughters. So I'm going to gather from this, and what do they do? Just like here on my farm, what happens? All right, everybody's going to work today. we got to do chores. Nobody gets left out. Now, one of these days, Grace will grow up, and she'll be far enough away that she has other responsibilities. We've already told the boys that means they got to pick it up. So it's one of those things. But here we have the work God has given us for all and not some. And I think about Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. When Peter says, says But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he says, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it was only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. As your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show you wonders in heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. A great magnificent day. And it shall be come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I think it's, I use these ties intentionally. I'm not saying that, that Nehemiah is saying this. What I'm saying is there's a tie for us in Christ today. And the thing is, is it's not necessarily about the local church or the, the local church structure, but what it comes down to this is when we look at this, the work that God has given, He is not just given for some people, He has given it for all of us. He's not just given it to men and, or, or women, but He's given it to both of us, and that aspect is to proclaim the gospel. It doesn't necessarily come in an ecclesiastical function of a pastor, it comes in the responsibility of every Christian to make the gospel known to the nations. And that's why I lead it to that because our next thing I want to talk about is, is really is an opposition, but just wait a second. I want to talk about opposition, but we have to get point past this place because we either find ourselves in the last point or the, the last two points. We either are not willing to lift a finger. We know it all. We know what we're supposed to do, and we tell others to do it, or we're in the other state of we deny our responsibility because we can't or we don't think we're called to it. I hear people say, I, I'm glad that you're called to that ministry. I, I'm just not called to that ministry. And listen, it doesn't matter if, where that ministry, that outpouring of that is. It, it doesn't matter. We're called to the same ministry, just different ways of that service. But we're called to some type of service. We're called to some specific aspect. And so the opposition begins with us. So before we even talk about the outward opposition, it begins with us. And I think most of why things don't happen in Christendom is not because people don't have permission. They have all the permission in the world to do it. It's just we're just disobedient. Mm. We're, we'll just move on from there for a moment. This next, next thing is, remember, often in obedience comes opposition. I want us to see this today. Often, when we are obedient, that's when opposition comes. Now, as we continue, we're going to be in chapter 4. If, you look, if you're following along in chapter 4, he says, he says here, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will, he will break it down, he will break down their stone wall. That was, that's what he's saying to them. All they're getting is a, uh, and I'll say this, is opposition, the first point of that next thing, will seek, go ahead and back it up, Grace. Opposition will seek to discourage us from the Lord's call. That's the first thing. 
that people want to do is, you can't do it. You can't accomplish it. Why do we even try? Every time something happens, opposition comes. It comes from within or without. It doesn't matter. When it comes, the first thing we want, and I say this, the greatest thing is that Satan is known as what? The father of lies, right? And the lies are one of the greatest discouragements that people have. We buy these lies. And so when people come in and says, you're not smart enough, you don't know enough, you're not old enough, you don't have experience enough, you don't have this or that, the first thing, that's a red herring to me, and I could care less how, many, how, how old someone is or how young someone is, how educated someone is. When it comes down to it is what does the Word of God say and what are we to be convicted of the Holy Spirit by? What does the Word of God tell us that we must do? And when we come to this, Opposition will seek to discourage us. And that's what those outsiders were doing. They were coming to, to say such things as, look at these people. What do they think they're going to be able to... They think they're going to be able to sacrifice here again? Do you think that they're going, to, they're going to be able to gather together and be a people again? Whatever they put their hands to is just going to fall on them. And I've been there. And I've said the things to my own self when I look around and see all the things around me, everything we try to do and we are doing it to honor God, it seems like it's going to fall in on us. The thing is, is we aren't the glue that holds it together. We're not the mortar. That's right. And we're not the rock that we build the foundation of the wall upon. He is. We just have to be, and we're going to find this, is right here. A, our response must be prayer, and action. Our response must be prayer and action. In Nehemiah 4, they know what has been said because they've been jeered and taunted. And this is what Nehemiah prays. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. What are they now, folks? This is what's almost what's called an imprecatory prayer. That means that means we are praying God's wrath and judgment on a people, on someone who is declaring their own wrath and judgment against the God, the God's people. And so this is an it's an imprecatory prayer. He's calling for God's judgment. God, what we pray that you will do is what has happened to us. In our disobedience, we have gone after other gods. In our own disobedience, we have gone after the things of our own ways. And because of that, we find ourselves captive in another land. But what he's praying is, God, will you do the same thing to them that they might be humbled and understand their circumstances? Yes. Our response must be prayer. And action, but he didn't just stop there. Think of this. So what? Verse six. So we built the wall. We built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to have its height. For the people had a mind to work. There's prayer when the opposition comes like that, and there's action, and that action was the very work that God had called them to do. Okay. They continued in the process, even though discouragement came. <clears throat> I also think of it, and I, I could tie it in here, I could tie it into the next point. I'll, I think about it when opposition... Now, let me, let me tie it into the next one. Secondly, opposition 
will plot to destroy the work of the Lord's call. Opposition will plot to destroy the work of the Lord's call in our lives. We find in verses 7 and 8 of Nehemiah 4, When Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites, Ashadites, I should say, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward. They thought that their taunts and jeers were enough. This is what happened. And that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. When opposition will plot to destroy the work of God's call upon our lives. Our response, though, is something very similar, but it's a little bit different here. Our response must be prayer and cooperative action. I want you to write that down. Our next point is prayer and cooperative action. Cooperative means that we work together. Now I want you to understand before, it's individual. It's how we, how we function as individuals. When opposition comes against us, as individuals, we need to pray and take action. When opposition comes against us, not as a, uh, as a, just as an individual, but us as a group, as a believers or what have you, we must take cooperative action. And our first thing we do is we pray. And secondly, what we do is we respond. Now this is what people want. People want passive Christians. They don't want imprecatory prayers. They don't want people actually responding. They want people to be tolerant and meaning take whatever we give you. In this sense, we find that they are plotting to destroy the work of the Lord. They are coming in and they want to cause confusion among the people. So what? That they would give up, right? Mm -hmm. Our response, let's see what they said. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. They prayed to God. They relied upon Him. And look at what it says. In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. They they can see the armies surround them, about them. They know where the weakness is. And he says, There's too much rubble. There's too much for us to defend and to build. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said that they they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. They know it's about them. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, listen, I stationed, he says, people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And I want us to be reminded of what, what's so important. Y'all remember Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they what? They comfort me. You prepare a table 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, these are the type of things, the promises he's reminding them of constantly that's before them. This God who is great and awesome, remember God and He'll fight and fight for your family, fight for your heritage, fight for the purpose that He has put forth. I remember that that song we sang this morning was on purpose. We are more than conquerors. Romans 8, 31-39 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake all day long we are being killed, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our response must be prayer. Our response must be cooperative action. And when they gain together, what happens? Did they just stop and just throw it in? Absolutely not. And what Nehemiah said, Let's remember the God who is strong, the God who is mighty, the God who is awesome, and let's fight for everything that He's given us and called us to do and be. That means there's something else here. That's thirdly. We must realize the Lord's call upon us demands us to carry both tools for work and weapons for warfare. He calls us to carry both tools for work and weapons for warfare. Look at verses 15 through 23. Because this is why I love love it. Because he keeps coming back. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and and coats of mail. That's their armor. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens, those who were carrying the loads, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. It's like he has a sword in this hand and he has a hammer in this one. Think about that. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And as I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and wildly spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet. Rally to us there. And our God will fight for us. What do you say? We're spread out and we're all doing this great work. But if an enemy attacks, we will sound the trumpet. And when we sound the trumpet, everyone is to rally to that point. 
And our God will fight for us. So we labored at work, he said. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off of our our clothes. Each kept his weapon in his right hand. So they labored never day and night, keeping watch and keeping at work. I tell you this, and I give you this little thing. There's two things we have, and I'm just going to highlight them. A, therefore we must be skilled in our work. We must be skilled in our work. And I'm not just talking about just an actual employment, our actual vocation of things we do. Whatever we do, we must be skilled in it. And, and we also must be skilled in the fact to present ourselves, as Second Timothy 2.15 tells us, that we're to present ourselves to, to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we need to be skilled in the word of God. In this day and time, the only reason why a person would be ignorant of the Word of God is from willful willful disobedience not to study it themselves. Because we have it available at all places. People have phones. People have Bibles. In my house, we probably have 10, 15, 20 Bibles in here. We have no reason, no excuse for not reading it and studying it and not knowing it. We are to be skilled in our work. Colossians 1, I'm going to walk through Colossians 1, 2, and 3. Paul says to the church at Colossa, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, listen, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The goal when we teach others to, at our work, when we, the goal for the day is that every day we learn something new and what we have learned we apply. So every day it's a building process. So every day he's saying that we're growing and bearing fruit in our work, growing and more and more mature. So Colossians 2, 6-7, it says, Just as you see Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding and thanksgiving. Don't take for granted the work that's going on about you. Don't take for granted the Word of God that is taught to you, the lessons that are learned, but abound in those things. Allow those things to grow up inside you. Colossians 3, 23-24, Whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whether it be your chores or your schoolwork, or it be your play, or helping around uh, the house, or helping someone else. The thing is, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. It's not serving the individual. It's not just getting your education. It's as if you're doing it unto the Lord Himself. We're also reminded to the letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a price? So run that you may obtain it. I know every every person here is somewhat competitive in some way, some fashion. And we want, why would you do anything to lose? I mean, there's no board game that you go into going, you know what, I hope I get the last place. I mean, that's the purpose of it. 
I mean, if, if someone said, all right, um, I, I threw a gold bar out in the middle of my pond. I don't want to be the person not to find it, okay? I'm going to be out there all day and all night. I'm going to go after whatever it might be. One, we, we, we run to obtain the prize. Every athlete, it says, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. Listen carefully what it's what we're talking about. We must be skilled in our work. And whatever we're doing, we're doing it intentionally because the day will come when you will need it. The day will come when you'll have to give an account. The day will come when someone will question your faith and you must respond either in obedience to God's Word or disobedience because you're ashamed of Him. And I tell you, when we are skilled in our work, we are prepared for whatever opposition comes our way. Secondly, that be part of this. Therefore, we also must be trained for warfare. Because sometimes things require an explanation, and sometimes things require a fight. Uh-oh, now I'm talking about fighting. All the mamas in the world, don't, don't, y'all don't fight. Y'all don't, we're not talking about sissy boys. We're talking about literally being trained for warfare. And I will say this. It told, it said that what did they do? They worked with one hand and with the other they held their spear, their sword, whatever it is, ready for battle. They held their weapon. You know, in Luke 22, we're told, Jesus says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? No, listen. Originally, he sent them out the first time. He said, don't bring anything with you. But you go into this town, and, and basically, if the Spirit rests on the people, go in. If not, kick your dust off your sandals and go on your way. But don't take anything. They didn't, he didn't want them to rely on themselves or what they had. But here he goes. He says, now, listen. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Now, I know a lot of people will talk about this is a great example of our, our Second Amendment rights. I guarantee you that the Lord was not prepared to talk about our constitutional rights. That's not why he's writing this here. This is not about that. But this is something about being prepared to defend yourself. It's not just a physical weapon we're talking about, but it does go to that point. Be prepared in all things. Have every bit of finances you need. Have a place. Bring your own thing to sleep on so you have a place to lay your head. And thirdly, bring a sword to defend yourself. A sword was more important than the outer cloak, your outer garment, that delineates you from the rest of the people. 2 Corinthians, he goes on, he says, but he also, weapons are not just physical things. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging a war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. You don't need a sword to destroy an argument. Now you can put it into an argument pretty quick, but it's, it's not about destroying arguments that way. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience 
when your obedience is complete. We are to be trained for warfare, and the warfare that we have is not just being able to speak or to know things, but it's being willing to defend the truth of God's Word. How do we do it? Psalm 119, verses 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? When others around him oppose him or decide to, they want, they desire to defile him by guarding it according to your word, Lord. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We must be skilled for our work, but we must be trained for warfare. And that means we take up the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit according to the, the, to the armor of God? What is the, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God, isn't it? We have to be willing to not only know things and be skilled at the very tasks that we have, but we need to be ready to destroy every stronghold, every lofty opinion, everything that comes against Christ. Now, did you notice that it didn't say destroy every person? That's why we don't take up the sword against every person. But we take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Nehemiah and the people, the Jews there in this case, they faced many hardships and many things, but they they went about their work. And what happened at the end and what we find here in this is we're not done with this sermon series because we've got a lot still to go. But I want you to understand that there is a response for the believer. I, as I said, it's almost an elementary teaching, but I think we have to be reminded, reminded we need to pray and we need to act. There's times when we can't do it on our own. We, God has not called us to do it on our own. We pray corporately together and we respond corporately together. There are times when there are struggles and we know that even corporately together it's not enough and we have to call on other brothers and sisters in Christ who are far off, sound the trumpet that we need others to rally around us. And there's those times. Notice there's times for all of those but the thing is, is ultimately when we do it, as we pray and we seek the Lord's face, we come together, not that we might destroy the strongholds in and of ourselves, but that our Lord would fight for us. Amen. And we don't have to agree upon every little thing. But we have to agree this. This is the Lord's work, and that He will fight for us. Amen. And that we must go on. Let's pray, and then we're going to close this morning. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. As always, we thank You, that Lord God, that You go before us, that, Lord God, You direct our paths, that, Lord God, You never leave us alone, never forsake us, but, Lord God, as we draw near to You, You draw near to us, and, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I know it wasn't written to us, but it is for us. And, Lord God, as we as Christians, when we look at this, so often we, we, we fall back on our, our education, We so often we fall back on our knowledge, but, Lord God, our knowledge is not enough, it must be equipped. It must be accompanied by action. Well, God, we can know all the things 
that are in this book. We can know all these things that great writers write, but ultimately when it comes down to it, if we are not obedient to follow and to put it into faith, put our faith into action, it's dead faith. And Lord, I pray that this is this is one of those aspects that no matter what came about, what kept throwing off the opposition was that just because they knew it came and just because they responded, they didn't stop the work. They kept moving forward. They never stopped the very call that you had placed upon their lives. They didn't have to stop and, and, take, and, and take a long look at what's going on. They didn't even slow. They just kept on working. And Lord, so often we allow the things around us to, or to tie us down and to entangle us. And, and Lord, we can't run the race with the perseverance that you've called us to because, Lord God, we know the reason why. The reason why is we get so entangled by all these little quarrels and quips and, Lord God, all the other little things that go on that, Lord, we don't do the very thing that you called us to do. If there's a problem, Lord, may we call upon you and keep moving forward. Father, if it's too big for us as individuals, may we come together as a local body of Christ and Lord God, that we work together, we pray together and we cooperate together and work together toward and to, to continue the work that you have for us. And Lord, if it's even too big for our local community of faith, Lord God, if it's greater than that, let us call the rallying call for our brothers and sisters, whether it be like the call that we have upon Jeremiah Thomas, that we have others who have been arrested overseas, we whatever it might be, that we might come and pray and rally together and Lord, one purpose and one bond and one reason that our Lord might go before us and and that he might fight for us because where the Lord is, there is victory. And that's what we pray today. Lord, that is my goal, my hope from this message, that we will see the victory that we have in Christ no matter what, and that we'll continue to move forward no matter what the obstacles are before us, no matter how great our opposition is, no how great and how powerful the opposition is. Lord God, that we continue to do the work and the purpose that we have at hand, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. 